Let's get into the word this morning. Acts chapter 4. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and meet me there. Acts chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 32 through 37. Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. Once you got it, I'm going to ask you to stand on your feet with me as we read the word of God. Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. <clears throat> if you got it, go ahead and say got it. All right. Starting in verse 32, text reads, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Remember that. And with great power, the apostles who were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, great grace was, among, was upon them all. There was not a needy person, this is key, there was not a needy, needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. And they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, native of Cyprus, sold a field and it belonged to him. And brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. These are the very words of God. Amen. Today I want to preach on the topic of being a generous church. Being a generous church. Can you say that with me? Being a generous church. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. God, I thank you for, first and foremost, your generosity towards us. That lends way for us to be generous with anything that we have. God, it's not easy to talk about money, your finances, or generosity. So, Lord, I pray right now that you decrease me so that you may increase in this place. Let your people hear from you and not from me. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus and everyone said together. Amen. 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 You may be seated. <clears throat> now, as I said when I was praying, as we're entering into today, Talking about money and generosity, finances, resources, and church is possibly one of the most least-like subjects for people in church. Gonna be honest. Y'all, I used to hate when the pastors start talking about money in the church. I could not stand it. I'm like, come on. Can't you talk about something else? Can't you talk about something else? Well, what's Jesus got to do with money? But here's the thing. There's a lot to do with it. There's a lot to do with them. God talks about money almost more than anything else in the Bible. It's referenced more than 800 times in the Bible. I think he really cares about this subject. It's no coincidence. Simply put, family, God cares about how we steward our money, and here's why. Because the love of money, as the Bible says, not money itself, the love of money is the root of all evil. People, especially in America, they will rob, they will steal, they will kill to get more money. We'll do whatever we can. To, we'll rob Peter and Paul, take it to home. You know, we'll do all of this just so we can get more money. And see, many times what happens is that our, our, our affection for money, we're driven by this affection. And y'all, this is a tough topic. It's a tough topic to talk about in church because people hate to be told what to do with their finances. 
They don't like it. And it's even harder when you actually get a lot of it. When you have a lot of finances, you're like, ain't nobody telling me what to do with my money. Because finances and having, a, having an abundance of finance, what, sometimes what that does, this full pocketbook, it starts to breed pride. Starts to breed power, starts to breed status, and it breeds the belief that now because I have more than the other person next to me, now I'm somehow greater than him, so nobody can tell me what to do with, with what, what's, what's mine. I, I worked hard for this. It's mine. I, I get to do what I, what, what it, with it what I please to do with it. But hear me, biblically, as your pastor, as an elder here at this church, I'm bound to help equip you not just with your life and what God has you do with your life and how you steward your time or your talent, but also how you steward your treasure, the money God has given you. And sadly, most of us don't know how to steward our money, or at least biblically, we don't know how to steward it. We've never been taught how to do a budget. We've never been taught how to give to the church. We've never been taught that the church needs it, your finances in order for the kingdom to go. We've we never been taught those things. We just hear give money, give money, give money. So we miss it. Family, hear me. We're called to be generous. We're called to be generous as believers with our resources because God has been so generous to us. Some of y'all don't believe me when I say that. I didn't get enough amens. Here's the truth. The fact that God forms you out of the dust of the earth in his image, you know what? That's generosity. The fact that Jesus steps out of heaven, puts a human suit on, comes down here, lives the life that we should live, sympathize with our sufferings, then died the death that we should have died on the cross, y'all, that's generosity. The fact that we can believe in his death, burial, and resurrection, and one day we'll live with him in heaven forever and ever, for all eternity, that's generosity. He doesn't have to do any of that. Better yet, let me, let me bring it a little closer to home. That trial you were going through this week, that tribulation you had, that, that hard time this week where you were going through it, you just cried out, Jesus, and he helped you. That's generosity. That's generosity. We give and we're generous of what we have because God has been nothing but generous to us. Amen. Amen. So today I got three things I want to talk about in this text. Number one, I want to talk about the fact that the church is to be generous and take care of one another to the point to where there's nobody that has needs that aren't met. So the church, number one, is to be generous and take care of one another. Number two, believers are to give sacrificially and willingly because they understand what Christ has done on their behalf. And number three, believers trust their leaders with their giving. That's tough. They trust their leaders with their giving. Now, our passage today, it comes from the same context we talked about last week, where the apostles Peter and John, they have just been persecuted for sharing their faith. They've been preaching Jesus, they've been talking about Jesus, and, and they, right now, they, they just healed this man, and they're getting persecuted, and afterwards, they go straight back to the church. And some of y'all weren't here, so let me give you a brief recap of what happened last week, what we talked about. Peter and John, they just healed this man that could not walk. He's been lame for his whole life. He's been there, and he's asking for alms. Alms are an offering giving to the poor. This is what you did. People set this aside to give it to the poor. Now, remember last week I talked about the fact that the Bible gives us three different ways that the Christian or the believer is supposed to give. There's three different ways. 
There's the number one, there's the tithe or the offering. Uh, there's a tithe. We, we've probably heard of the tithe. That the way it says it in the Old Testament is, is the first fruit. So you take 10% of your salary, what you've been given, and you give to the storehouse. You, you give to the church. New Testament says give cheerfully. That doesn't mean less than a tithe. That actually intens- intensifies the tithe because cheerfully, when it's in its original language, it means hilarious. It means you give so much that it's crazy and you just got to laugh about it. It means give over and above. The second part, it says, is to give an offering. You see this in the Bible. An offering now is to missionaries, it's to organizations, it's to charities, it's to other nonprofits. And that does not take away from your tithe to your church. And the last one is an alm, which you set aside and you give to those in need. You give to the poor. Three different types of giving. Tithe, offering, and alms. They're not the same thing. They don't trickle over into each other. So don't go give to the, to the missionary organization and say, well, I gave my tithe. It's not the same thing. Don't give to the poor and say, well, I gave to my church. They're not the same thing. We're instructed to give all three. Again, and here's why I say this. This is why I say this, because the church, as you'll see in the text today, you'll see that the church is supposed to be responsible for all of those things. But here's the problem. If we do not give to the church and we do our own thing individually, then now the church can't sustain itself. And what ends up happening is that we Christians, we start complaining about what the church should do. And it should do more of this. And it should give more to this organization. That person is poor, this and that. And the church can't give because there's nothing to give because we're not giving. So, so, so that's why we give to the church. And, and, and Christians, as you'll see in this book today in Acts What happens, watch it, when people give what they have to the church, everybody's needs are met. There's not a person with a need that's not met. Family, again, hear me. As we go through this today, this is what I really want you to remember. If you miss everything else, even if you get mad at me, I want you to remember this. Let us be known as a generous church. Not because I'm saying we need to give, But because, here it is, God has shown us an immense amount of generosity by sending Jesus to die in our place. And when we understand that, family, it breeds generosity because he's been nothing but generous to us. Don't miss anything. If you miss everything else I say, remember that. Let's be generous. Let's be known as a generous church. Now, in the context, again, this man, he's here, he's asking for alms. And Peter and John are like, we don't have any alms, we don't have money, we don't have silver and gold. But what we do, we give it to you in the name of Jesus. Now, rise up and walk. My man that's been sitting there for 40 years, lame, asking for money, he gets up and he starts walking. Y'all, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. He's running around telling everybody, the council hears about this. and like, man, we got to stop this. They t- they're doing too much in the name of Jesus. They're taking attention away from us. So they bring Peter and John in here in handcuffs, and they say, look, y'all got to stop preaching the word of, of, of Jesus Christ. Now, you gotta, we, we, we command you to stop doing this. And they're like, we don't answer to you. No, we're going to keep preaching Jesus' name. And after that, they leave the council. They go back to their friends, the text says. They go back to the church, in other words. They go back to their community. And as I told you last week, there's power in community. We need people around us. When we're going through different trials and tribulations, that's not for you to just be by yourself. You go back to your community where they can encourage you, they can challenge you, and they can pray for you, which is what we see in this text. They go back to the community, and they pray for them. They don't pray for safety either. Don't miss it. They start praying for boldness. They pray for boldness because, as I said last week, prayer is not just about your own good or what you want. 
It's more so about the will of God being done in and through your life. We get it mixed up. Jesus is not your genie in the Bible where you rub him the right way or you pray to him. That's that Christine Aguilera. Y'all didn't even know that. He's, he, he ain't the genie in the Bible. He, he's not that one. He's not, he doesn't just pop out and say, what do you want from me? I got it. That's not it. Prayer is more so about the will of God being done in and through your life, being used as a vessel for his glory. The people pray for boldness to keep proclaiming Jesus' name and to see the kingdom advance, and that's exactly what happens. And it brings us to our passage. See, the text begins in verse 1. You see it with me. It says that the people were of one heart, one soul, and nobody said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Now, let me clean this up a bit for you, because some people look at this, some scholars, they look at this, and they believe this is the start of early communism. You can laugh. I mean, it, they believe it. I mean, this is where all the, they, they say, where all the property that the people owned was publicly owned, and everybody would, worked and was paid according to their abilities and needs. Y'all, this is far from the truth. I mean, two things you see in this text. If you just observe the text very closely, you see this in chapter 2 and in chapter 4. It says the fact that they had all things in common. Number one, the giving was voluntary. It was voluntary. It was not compelled by the government, which meant that the people gave willingly with a cheerful heart, understanding what God had done on their behalf. And number two, people still had personal possessions. Because they met in their homes. So they ain't giving up, they're not giving up everything. Sometimes they're, they're giving over and above what they need to give. They, they still have homes, they still have possessions. You see that in chapter four and chapter two. The upper room, that's in a house. This whole, a lot of this book is in a house. So when people give, they still own homes. So hear me, I need y'all to hear me when I say this. Giving to the church and being generous doesn't mean that you shouldn't have nice things. It does not mean that you can't own a house. It doesn't mean that you give all your money to the church. That's not what's happening here. And with that, I need y'all to hear me because some of us believe this. Being Christian does not mean you need to live your life way beneath your means as a pauper. Or, or, or your pastor has to be poor because he's doing Jesus' work. Let me clear that up a bit. I mean, because you, you sh go ahead and try to show me in Scripture where believers shouldn't have money. Show me that. And I'm going to show you in Scripture where believers have been some of the most high-class, sophisticated people throughout the Scripture. Solomon. Joseph. Paul. We talked about him last week. Status is you can't even believe. He was the man in the land across multiple different lands. And I know he says, I count it all as loss for Christ, but don't mix his words up. He doesn't say, I give it all away. He says, I count it all as rubbish compared to knowing Christ, which means that he still has these statuses, but he counts it. It doesn't mean as much. He still uses those same statuses to go across different lands and share the word of God. So don't miss what's happening here, man. So, so, so hear me, as, as a, if you're a Christian and you think that being poor is part of Christianity, this poverty gospel, that couldn't be further from the truth. It's not money that's the problem. It's the love of money that's the, that's the root of all evil. 
And on the other hand, I don't want y'all to hear me wrong either because you shouldn't just live your life to just try and get more money too. This, this prosperity kind of gospel, that's not the gospel where you're trying to make it rain and do all of this stuff. That's not it. It's not to live your life to get more money. That's, that's not the gospel either. It's about biblical stewardship. Biblical stewardship, managing and, and, and stewarding the resources God gives you well, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. It's about stewardship. But this text right here is really emphasizing, don't miss this. Don't miss this, that being poor is not a part of the believer's life that's in the church. Now, don't miss what I'm saying here. Watch this. It, it says that there was not a needy person in the text which meant that, and I need y'all to hear this, being poor and being a part of the church, they didn't go together. And here's why. The two didn't mix, they should not mix, and what I'm saying is that the body took care of one another to where nobody had a need. They didn't walk past the person that was struggling to pay their bill and say, you're on your own. I work to what I get. You got to do it. No, no, they took care of one another. People were selling their homes, selling their lands, and they were giving it to the apostles. Everybody's needs were met. Now, hear me, with selling homes and that type of sacrificial giving, hear me, this was not mandatory. Need y'all to hear that. That was not mandatory. They weren't told to do this. They weren't saying that, that you have to do this. It was voluntary and done so because it benefited the whole body. And most of all, they gave because they understood what Christ had done for them. That's why they gave. Family, sacrificial giving comes as a result of understanding what Christ has done for you. But this type of giving, this over and beyond your 10% tithe, this is over and above that. It was not mandatory, but it was given sacrificially and willingly. Don't miss that. We know this because you read a chapter later, you see Ananias and Sapphira. Y'all heard of them? My Bible thumpers in here, you know who they are, chapter 5. <laughs> they come to Peter, they sell this parcel of land, and like, this is all we made from this parcel of land. We're giving it to you. And, but really what they did is they lied about what they're giving to the apostles and they held back a portion of it. And because they lied, they died. I need you to not miss what's happening here. Okay? It's not because they sold their land and only gave a portion away that they died. It's because they lied to God. It's because they lied. Y'all don't believe me. Okay. <laughs> Acts chapter 5, verses 3 through 4. Look at, the, look at this with me. It says, but Peter said, look at Peter's words. It says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Watch his words. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Look at the words. Peter says, while it was unsold, wasn't it all yours? Basically saying, Ananias, you, you didn't have to sell the land if you didn't want to. You could have kept it. Then he says, when you sold it, didn't the proceeds go all in your pocket? You could have kept some, but instead, you chose to lie 
and say, I'm giving you all of it, and you kept some for yourself. You cared more about what you look like than the deed itself. See, y'all don't miss that. They tried to look good, and they lied, and there was a punishment because of it. And see, there's a word right there for us, which is don't just appear to be the generous Christian or the Christian that's on fire for God in your words, but let your words match your deeds. I hope I don't get in trouble with this. I want y'all to follow me with this. Don't get mad at me. But most of the time, the people that talk the most, complain the most about the church, what happens there, they may be the ones that appear to be on fire for Christ, but they're the ones that give to the church the least. They're the ones that serve the least. The biggest givers of their lives and treasure are most of the time the, the, the most unassuming. And you see this all throughout the Bible. Take Jesus, just for example. Everybody heard Jesus. Take, take Jesus, for example. You look at the lineage in which Jesus comes through, you'll be like, there ain't no way that Jesus, the Messiah, could come through that lineage. Then they said the, the, the town that he came from, Nazareth, there's no way that anything good could come out of Nazareth. But you take the most unassuming lineage, you take the most unassuming place, and you get Jesus, the Savior of the world. And guess what, y'all? He gave the most. He gives the most. That's that's, that's scripture. Point being, family, is that when giving, let your deed match your word. Again, Ananias and Sapphira, they died not because they they, they, they had to sell their land and they only gave a portion. It's because they lied. They lied about what they gave. The broader point I'm trying to make here is that when given, make sure you do it sacrificially and willingly. Make sure your heart's in the right place. And hear me, with all of that, I need to touch on this too. Because when you serve or you give time, that's not the same as you giving money to the church. People think that nowadays. I served, I don't, I don't need to give. That's like me saying that I'm going to spend the whole day with my four daughters, but I'm not going to feed them. Makes no sense. I'm not taking care of them. I'm not providing for them. I'm a horrible dad if I do that. Family, hear me. Giving money and time is not the same thing. We are to give time and talent and treasures. We're supposed to put our hands to the plow as one body to see this kingdom go forth. And I have to say that because a lot of us are starting to think that way. Well, I serve, so I don't have to give. Y'all hear me. Hear me clearly. We're going to all keep thinking that we don't have to give, and we're going to keep serving, and we're going to come to a church, and we won't have a church because we ain't gave nothing. Now, with that comes the part of the text that's problematic for us today. The text says that the people, when they gave, they laid it, laid the proceeds of their home sales, their money, period, not in the bank accounts, not under a mattress. Some of us still do that. But instead, they laid it at the apostles' feet. In essence, indicating that they trusted their leadership to disperse it the right way. And the text says that every need was met. But see, if we're honest, that presents a problem for us today. 
I mean, if we're truthful, the only people, the only person we trust with our money is not God, it's not the leaders of the church, is us. Let's be honest. So there's no way we're gonna give 10% to the church. We don't tie. We we will give here, here's the we'll give the change, the leftover in our wallets to the church. Because we believe deep down we can do better with our money than the church. I mean, let's be honest. Now, here's the other side of that. I know that some of you have been hurt by the church. You've heard stories of pastors buying jets and all kind of mess and misappropriating funds. So I get why it's hard to trust the church with your finances. I understand that. And I'm sorry that if you've been a part of that, that that's happened to you. I, I hear, me, hear my heart. I'm sorry that it has happened to you. But I will say this. I will say this. God knows your heart when you're giving. So don't let any other person, whether it be a pastor or somebody else, their actions, don't let their actions deter you from being a, a good servant to the Lord Jesus. The scriptures command us to give. It says, give a tithe, give 10% of your salary, your first fruits to the church. And the New Testament, again, says cheerfully. That's over and above that. Hilarious. Y'all ever done something so crazy you just laughed at it? That's what it's talking about. You, you give to the point where you can't, you just got to laugh about it because it's so crazy. And hear me, when, I need y'all to hear me too because y'all probably still stuck on this whole pastor's misappropriating funds. Here's the thing. When pastors or church leaders do wrong with finances or misappropriate funds, they have to deal with God. And dealing with the Lord is way, it's way more punishment than we can give them or, or any jail cell can do here on this side of heaven. So when you give, family, trust God with your leaders, the elders of the church that you're under. And if you cannot give to the church because you do not trust the leaders that you're under, then let me help you. That's not the church for you. It's not the church for you. Get in a church and be a part of it, a church where you can give freely time, talent, and your treasures. And here's the good news. When the church gives correctly, you see in the text, it's beautiful. The church flourishes and the kingdom of God advances. But on the contrary, when the church, when it's not done that way or, or people do it individually, there's no flourishing that happens. We're all in our individual directions. The people gave to the church and the apostles distributed to all who had needs. This is why churches have benevolence funds. This is why they have missionary budgets. This is why we got a budget, period, so we can give it out. But if people don't give, then there's no benevolence. There's no missionary fund. There, there's no budget, period. Hear me, and, and here's the truth. I, I really don't care how much money you make, who you think you are, or what you give. You can never outgive the church. You can't outdo the church. And here's the simple reason. It's just one of you. And then there's the church. But when the church comes together, and the body all gives, trusting the leadership, the church flourishes. The poor are cared for. There's not a need that's not met. The kingdom advances. This is exactly what happens in the text. They trusted their leaders with their giving, and the church, the body was taken care of. 
The church went from 120 to 3,000 to 5,000 to turning, up, turning the world upside down, and we sit here thousands of years later because of what they did. Now, lastly, none of this matters. I need y'all to hear me. None of this matters, and I told you I'd come back to it. And all I said today, none of this matters if we don't understand biblical stewardship. Now, I don't have time to break down biblical stewardship in a full sense, but let me give you an understanding because it doesn't just deal with your money. It doesn't. Biblical stewardship deals with your faith, your work, your economics, your time, your treasures, all on down the line. It's your whole life. And see, the fundamental principle with biblical stewardship or understanding that is, is that nothing we have or have, we have in our possession is actually ours. It's God's. We have just been given gifts to steward well while we're here. It's all his. C.S. Lewis says it better than I can. He says it this way. Look at the screen. He says... Every faculty you have, your power of thinking or of moving your limbs from moment to moment, is given you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not, in a sense, his, all, his own already. See those words? Hear me. We can't outgive God. We can't outdo God. Because everything we have has been given to us by him. But instead, we are to steward what he's given us. In other words, supervise over it, amplify it, make it better for his glory and his good. That's stewardship. So here's a, here's a practical way to understand biblical stewardship when it comes to your money. Learn to budget. Learn to budget. How many of y'all got budgets? And I'm not talking about budget billing for your gas or nothing like that. I'm not talking about your bills that come in the mail. I mean, you literally spend your money on paper before it comes into your account. That type of budget. Everything is allocated. How many of y'all have budgets? So, so, see, a lot of why we don't give is because we don't know how to budget and we live check to check, and we feel as if we have no money. And you know why? Because really our money is ruling us instead of us ruling our money. We don't know where our money is going. Therefore, we never have enough of it. And even if we get more, it never feels like enough because we just spend more. And then we create more problems instead of solving problems. Y'all know the whole adage, more money, more problems. That's what's happening here. So my wife and I, in order to get in front of this, well, we've done this since we've been married. Every month, we have a, a budget meeting. We have this meeting before my check comes in, before it comes into my account. We know what, what I make, so every month we sit down and we look at our budget that's already there, and we see if we spent more in certain categories, and do we need to change that up to get ready for the money that's about to come in? We adjust it accordingly. We literally have everything we spend on a spreadsheet. Clothes, money, uh, house, uh, food, on down the line. I don't know if y'all follow me. We allocate, we break up our money and put it in certain categories. So if, I need, if we need $200 for gas, we put that on there, on the sheet. Whatever we need for food, we put that on it. We spend the money on the paper before it actually comes into the account. And that way, when it comes in, we know where it's going. We put it in the right places. So we spend it on paper. This happens every month. We pray through, we look at it. If we went over, we, we adjust it. Now hear me. 
We start our budget with, off the top, giving 10% to God. Not off the adjusted amount, we give it off the gross. Y'all can deal with God whether you're going to do adjusted or gross. We, we do it off the gross amount. So before it, it changes, this is what we're giving you, 10%. Then we take a second 10% and we say we're going to put that in some type of savings for ourselves, whether that be a retirement fund or, or, or our emergency fund, because we don't use credit cards for emergency. That's a no-no, y'all. That's money you don't have. You've got to have a fund to be able to, to, to do things for emergency. So we do 10 to God, 10 to ourselves. Then the last 80, we spend on our needs. We spend on the things that we need in the house, food, all of those things. And then if in that 80%, everything is satisfied without us spending the whole 80%, then we look back at the budget and say, where can we give to this missionary? Can we give to this charity? Can we do this? Can we give more to the church? Is there a need that's not met? Can we give more to our retirement? Then we start looking at those other things. But we start off 10 to God, 10 to ourselves, then 80 to the rest of that. It's not vice versa. God gets it first. Then we go on down the line. And y'all, I'm not telling you our situation so that y'all can pat us on our back and say we got all together. We just really believe, biblically, God has called us to be good stewards of what he has given us. And I know some of y'all are saying, well, I don't have money, Pastor D. I can't budget. Well, no, you're in a really good place. It's best to start budgeting when you don't have money. It's harder when you get money. My wife, and it's not true because my wife and I, here's the thing, you can budget when you don't have anything. My wife and I have been doing this, doing this since we got married at 21 years old. We were broke, y'all. We were poor. You could not, we couldn't even afford the OR. We were on Medicaid and WIC. Some of y'all ain't never been that poor, don't know what WIC is. That's what we had when we were on, when we had Ramiah. But here's the thing, there wasn't a bill that was not paid. There, wasn't, there was never a day where there wasn't food in the house. We had all the things that we needed, family. There was not a need that was not met because we worked hard to be good stewards of our money. Our money has never ruled over us. We controlled it. Dave Ramsey from Financial Peace, he says it this way. I love it. He says, a budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. Family, hear me. Budgeting and giving money, giving it away, giving it to the church, it should not feel like a burden. It shouldn't feel like a task, but it should feel freeing. It should give you freedom. It should feel good because that's stewardship. That's what good stewardship does. And friends, if you need help with this, I strongly encourage Financial Peace Class by Dave Ramsey. There's, there's also a, a Crown Financial. There's many of them out there that, that you can do. Look up a class. If you need help with that, see myself, see Pastor Luke, see somebody on staff. We'll help you with that. I did it when I was 20 years old. Before I got married, for my single man in here, I did this way before I got married, okay? I went through a budgeting class. I figured out how to manage my finances. Where, and now I'm at a place where I can live freer financially than most people my age, where I don't have debt outside of my house. And that's a good thing, but it's because of good stewardship. And if you can't find a financial peace class, I promise people have been asking me about this. We're going to do a budgeting class here. We're going to talk about finances outside of this. We're going to walk through that. It's coming up soon because it's very important for us to be true, good, biblical stewards of our money. Everything. How do you manage wealth? How do you do all that? Family, my point in all of this is that biblical stewardship with our money is extremely important. Because, again, it's not truly ours. It's God's. We can't take it with us. 
There's no U-Hauls going to heaven. So steward well while you have it here. Lastly, before we leave, as part of the Imagine Renewal campaign, I want to give you guys a snapshot of the finances here, Renewal, and I want to bring y'all in. It's family talk. Snapshot. So look at the screen, and we're going to put this given graphic up. Our yearly budget here at the church is $434,000. And as a church, year-to-date, we've given $317,085, which is worth praising God over. That's amazing. We've done a great job. We average about $31,700 a month here at the church, tithes, offering. But our monthly budget as a church is $36,100 a month. So as you can see, there's a gap. Still got a ways to meet our budget. And hear me, family, I don't want us to just meet our budget. I want to beat the budget. Because if we're able to beat the budget, that means that we're able to do more for the kingdom. We're able to expand renewal out into the streets and see God do a work in the city. I mean, take a look at this. We as a church, we average over more than 200 souls a week in here. Hearing the gospel being preached to them, lives are being changed here. We have baptized over 20 different people here at Renewal. We give 10% of our giving, our internal giving to church planting. The reason we do that is because the most people are reached for Jesus Christ through new church plants all across the world. That's how we, so we give to that. And also, we're saying you need to give 10%. We want to make a practice as a church to give 10% away too. So we're going to model that in our giving. We've done that since the beginning of the church. We give 10% of our internal offerings away to see more churches and see the, so y'all are already a part of the kingdom expanding all throughout the earth. In our church, there's over 100 people involved with eight different community groups all throughout the city. That means that people are doing life with one another. Discipleship is happening. People are sitting at dinner tables talking about hard issues. Lives are being transformed right in front of us. That's happening. People are starting up uh, uh, organizations across the world, nonprofit organizations. Missionaries are being sent out. People are catching the gospel, and they're saying, I want to be about what Jesus is doing, not only in my life, but in the world. And y'all, here's the thing. Don't you want to see more of that happen? This is just the beginning. So here's what I want you to do. In a little bit, I'm going to have the guys pass around. You'll get that same card. But I want you to pray about giving a renewal if you haven't started. If you started, we already say this every week, I, I want you to rework your budget to a point where you can actually give 10%. And if you're already doing 10%, I want you to pray about being a cheerful giver to where you can give over and above, to where it's hilarious. Let's be like the early church in Acts. Let's be like that church where they gave over and above and countless people were added to the church and money, hear me, was not an issue for the church. It wasn't an issue. Now let me me break this down a little bit more for you because some of y'all are like, well, I need numbers, I need to know this. Let Let me talk about this. We average about 70 givers per month here follow me, which gives us about $31,000 a month or so, which is great. But the problem or the opportunity with that is that we average over 200 adults per Sunday. So follow me. This means that there's there's at least 130 of us that don't give it all. Now, I'm not trying to come at you, but I would venture this to say that we do love this place or we wouldn't keep coming back. We love what God is doing here. 
and we love that the fact that renewal is happening. My life is changing, all those different things. But if that's true, then let's continue to give so more people can experience this. So let me give you a bit more numbers because some of that may be daunting, the big numbers. Let me do some simple math for you. For instance, take a modest salary. Say somebody makes $30,000. And you take 10% off the top of that salary. People that know math, that tie, that first fruit, now you get $3,000 a year. You break that down into monthly, that's $250 a month. It's not a whole lot, but if you multiply 3,000 by 200, math majors, what do you get? You get $600,000. Now we've blown the budget out the water. That, that's, and that's just 30,000. Some of you make less than that. Some of you make a lot more than that. Some of y'all can't get with that. So some of y'all college students are like, I ain't got no money, Pastor D. I ain't got no money. Let me bring that a little closer to home. Okay, look at this. Let's just say the 130 of us that haven't given anything say, I'm going to give $20 a week. We spend that on meals sometime after church. $20 a week you give. If the 130 people give $30, $20 a week and you multiply the 20 by 52 weeks, that's how many weeks are in a year? You get 1,040 for the whole year. Now you multiply that by 130, you get $135,200. Now we've more than covered the gap between our budget. Y'all see the math there? And that's just $20 a week, $80 a month or so. Now imagine what we could do if we actually were really generous with what we have. Imagine what this church could be like if we gave God our best off the top instead of giving him the change. Just imagine with me. Imagine if everybody gave 10% of what they make and that still doesn't even equal what the church did in the early church, y'all. They gave sacrificially. They're selling their homes. They're giving all the way. Folks, imagine what would happen. The world wouldn't know what to do with Renewal Church of Chicago because simply that type of giving has not happened since the beginning of the church. And when they gave, it turned the world upside down, and we're here today. Imagine what the church could do if we actually were generous with what we have. There's no rhyme or reason that churches should not meet budgets. There's no rhyme or reason that ministry should not be able to go forth because of money. Friends, my point in all of this is that when the church truly gives and they trust the leadership, you're in a church where you trust the leadership. Y'all hear me, the budget is not an issue. Hiring staff is not an issue. Keeping the church going is not an issue. Caring for the people is not an issue. Providing for missionaries is not an issue. Providing for the poor is not an issue. Y'all get where I'm going? I could keep on going down the line. Hear me. When the church gives, the body truly gives, ministry is not hindered by money, but instead we're able to be and do what God has called us to be. Let us be known as a generous church. In all we do, and I'm not just talking about your money here, let's be true biblical stewards of our time, talent, and our treasures. Let our whole lives be a sweet aroma to God. So as we end the day, they've already passed them around. I want you guys to really be praying about this. How could you give to renewal? You got a pledge card, and there's also a giving card you can take home. This is end of year giving. Some of you all have been giving, so I want you to pray about what you can give over and above that. Some of you I have never give, gave. I want you to pray about starting to give. 
There's a place on there you can indicate that amount. You can talk about if it's a monthly gift, if it's now or it's in 2019. We want to come alongside you and pray with you on that. If you need help with your finances, these are things that we want to know as a church. So we want you to give, but we also want to come alongside you, keep you accountable, and help you too. So please indicate on there. And you don't have to do it today if you don't know. You don't know where you are. You don't know if you want to increase your giving. You don't know what you want to do. Family, pray about that. And over the next month or so, take that pledge card home and bring it back. And when you're ready, drop it into the offering baskets as they go around. We would love for you to partner with us and continue to go with us in this journey that God has taken us on. And family, I think God has amazing things in store for us. And y'all, this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. Amen? So let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your goodness. You're an awesome God. We give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. God, I just pray that we would be marked not as people that are stingy or we just hold on to everything we have, God, but that we would be generous people, not because I said give or anything of that matter, but because we're marked by you, and you gave it all for us. So, God, we give back. And we say we want other people to experience the goodness of Jesus. So God, work in our hearts, do a work in this church, and let us be known always as a generous church. God, you're good. As we come to the table this morning, let us remember your generosity and giving yourself up for us and our good. Let us never forget the first one who is generous. Lord, we love you and we pray all these things in your mighty name. And everyone said together, amen, amen.